You're listening to Joe List's Mindful Metal Jacket on the Riotcast Network, riotcast.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Joe List's Mindful Metal Jacket podcast. I am Joe List. It's hard to say Joe List's. I can't even say my own name in possessive form. Is that how you say it? Possessive form? I don't know. Thanks for listening. Welcome. Uh, You're live. We're live here in this moment. This is the only moment that matters. Isn't that interesting that this is the only moment that matters and you're, you're listening to me? That's interesting. I appreciate it. I'm glad you've made that decision. And uh, here we are together. And that's an interesting thing about podcasts. It's like we're together right now. I'm in your head. But by the time you're hearing this, I'm doing something completely different. Right now, I'm alone in my living room talking to myself. But yet at the same time, I'm talking to you. But by the time you're hearing this, I'm no longer sitting in my living room. I might be in my living room, but I'm no longer recording this. So this moment for you is much different than this moment for me. This moment for me, you're doing something else. Maybe you're masturbating or, you know, touching your husband's balls or vomiting in the street. Perhaps you're in jail. Maybe you're playing hockey. Maybe you're uh, going to the fridge right now as I record this. Maybe you're doing all those things now while you listen to this. That would be weird if you were making love and listening to this podcast, but uh, I welcome it. Uh, anyways, thanks for listening. Today's guest is the wonderful Matteo Lane, a friend of mine, comedian, and maybe the most talented human being I've ever met in my life. He is a painter, uh, an artist, um, a comedian, obviously, and a singer. And he can dance, and he's also like a bodybuilder, I guess. I don't know if he would categorize himself as that, but he's fucking ripped. Um, He didn't used to be. He is now. Um, Great friend, great guy. Always happy to see him. And we had a great conversation. Uh, This was recorded quite a while ago. It was one of the first, I don't know, four or five episodes uh, we recorded. So there may be weird references, or not references, but you're going to notice that it's a while ago. I think it must have been November of 2019. Um, I stockpiled a bunch of these. But anyways... I think it's pretty evergreen, and uh, it takes us a little few moments to get into um, anxiety and mental stuff, but we get there and we go pretty deep. We talk about our parents, his upbringing, my upbringing, and um, a lot of therapy talk. We have the same therapist and some comedy talk, and I think it was really good. We talk about, uh, I don't know, I just kind of perused it a little bit, but I think it's a good episode. And I enjoyed uh, hanging with him. It was recorded. Uh, we recorded at his apartment on the Upper East Side quite a while ago. A lot of it I didn't remember uh, because it was a while ago. But upon re-listening, I was like, this is helpful and uh, interesting. And uh, he's a good guy. So go check him out. He has a Netflix uh, thing, 15 minutes um, on the lineup, I think it was called or something like that. We plugs it at the end. But um yeah, enjoy it. Mateo's great. Thank you for uh, listening. We got a little write-up in Vulture, which was exciting. Thank you to whoever listened and wrote that. I forget the guy's name. Tim Rainey or something. Tom? Tim Raines, the baseball player? Maybe that's what. Maybe that's who it was. He quit the Coke, quit baseball, and now he's writing for Vulture. Podcast reviews. 
Um, anyways, you guys have been really nice. Keep leaving those reviews. A lot of those reviews have been extraordinarily touching to me. And um, I've gotten some nice tweets and the messages are all really nice. I'm glad it's uh, helping some folks and making a difference. That's uh, what I'm going for. And uh, thank you. So thank you for reaching out and writing nice things. It's really nice. And I appreciate it. Let me... Um, oh, well, let me tell you some dates. I'm recording my album um, for uh, 800-pound Gorilla Record Company on March uh, 2nd at the Village Underground here in New York City. Um, Comedy Cellar is where you'll get the tickets. I don't know if they're, the link is up yet, but it's March 2nd. We're going to do two shows at the Village Underground. And next weekend, I'm at the Ann Arbor Comedy Showcase. That is February 27th through the 29th. I'm looking forward to that. It's one of my favorite clubs. And Comics Roadhouse at Mohegan Sun in Connecticut, March 12th through the 14th. I'll be there. And The Belly Room at the Comedy Store, March 16th. And uh, some other dates, comedianjoelist.com. And um, check out Tuesdays with Stories, of course. Mateo was a guest on there at one point. I think it's on the Patreon. So go check out Tuesdays with Stories and um, check out comedianjoelist.com and keep those nice messages coming. They really make me feel good. I appreciate it. And um, yeah, thanks for that. And now it's time for a little a little love, a little uh, quote that hopefully is uh, helpful to you. And uh, I'm looking up, I was reading uh, Tara Brock, who I listened to her podcast. She is great. Check her out. She has a wonderful podcast and some great books. Um, Radical Acceptance is one of them that I love. And here's a little love from her. Pain is not wrong. Reacting to pain is as wrong. Oh, Jews. I screwed up. Did I say, I meant to say Jews, and it came out Jews. And I apologize to all my Jewish listeners. I really was supposed to say Jews there. I screwed up the quote and the music playing in the background. Oh boy, I really blew this one. How about this quote? Clearly recognizing what is happening inside us and regarding what we see with an open, kind, and loving heart is what I call radical acceptance. If we are holding back from any part of our experience, if our heart shuts out any part of who we are and what we feel, we are fueling the fears and feelings of separation that sustain the trance of unworthiness. Radical acceptance directly dismantles the very foundation of this trance. There you go, folks. Sorry, but I said Jews. Uh, <laughs> thanks for listening. And here is myself and my dear friend, Matteo Lane. Thanks for listening. All right, we're live. This is this is a historic episode of the podcast. Do you want to know why? This is the first episode recorded outside of my apartment. I'm on the Upper East Side. Can I say your neighborhood? I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm on the Upper East Side at Mateo Lane's. Ladies and gentlemen, Mateo Lane is here. I'm so nervous about, speaking of anxiety, I get nervous about technology because I don't know how to use it. And so the thing you just use, I'm like, okay, why the easier technology gets, like I look at my iPhone, it's so user-friendly. Why is this thing still like 1960s? We're going to the moon. I hope you press the right sequence of buttons to it, get this to work. You're making me anxious now. And I also have, I record with Mark. We have the same equipment, but both mics 
like the little lines. I'm an idiot with technology. Both lines go up at the same time. Mine, the left one goes and yours goes when you talk. Mm-hmm. So I is don't it know. doing it? Yeah, like yours. Oh, then it's go, working. So they're each record separately instead of both at the same time. Okay, sorry to make you anxious. Well, <laughs> I'm I th- I, about anxiety. Well, I think that one. Maybe when people listen, one like I might be in their left ear and you're in their right ear. I hope that's not okay. the case because that would be annoying. Who? I mean, you can also use this and add that in to fill it out. Well, I, I have, said something with so much confidence, I have no idea what I just said. I have the backup recording on my phone, and I feel like that's good enough, actually. Yeah. But instead, we have this piece of equipment. But I think it's recording. There's a card in there. It's recording. We're live. I'm here with Mateo Lane, and we just had a great talk before, we- and this is my big anxiety. <laughs> I'm always afraid that you hit record, and then, and then it, all, it just goes to shit. Yeah. You think two comedians are going to sit and not have anything to say to each other? I mean, we never shut up. Well, I don't think that, but sometimes you're like... Ah, this is not as good as the pre-conference. Have you had that with podcasts before? Yeah. Well, also, too, you're sitting and gossiping about like stuff that like we like it. Comics get together gossiping. It's just like just an endless supply of meat that we can pick at and just keep going. Well, this is why my marriage is so great. And I really think (laughs) I mean, not just that there's other things we like each other and shit, but there's something to working together because people all these i mean all these comics i don't know what your policy is on this but there's i have so many zero comics, i have like four options but comics are like <laughs> that's a good point but comics are like i would never date a comic you shouldn't date a comic but i'm like it's the best thing because you know all the same people you right. hate all the same people you love all the same people and it makes it easy because a lot of relationships you're like oh my god barbara today was such a cunt and then you're like i never even met this i don't yeah, know who, who the, the fuck is. is barbara and then you meet barbara like years later at like a christmas party and you're like this was the cunt right right and you know what like, i mean oh well and you're like that's the lady that stubbed her toe and said what and you're like what but- i i think you know um some it's so funny when i started comedy and I, other gay comics have talked about this where it's like we just kind of didn't have there was so many people like dating and fucking and like that. I just never existed to me. I, you know, the few gay comics there were, were definitely friends like Tim Dillon and I, right. You know, and, uh, frankly, Adi, Joel can booster, like people that I was doing open mics with back right. in the day. We, we knew we were like, we all had the same experience. Like we're not fucking anybody else. We're all just focused on the shows and, right. and the open mics. So we left the fucking to the, to, to the side. So you never hooked up with the comic. No. Oh, wow. Good for you. Well, there's not, I mean, those aren't some, Tim Dillon's not exactly a hot choice. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, what's so funny about Tim. It was, well, all, all queer gay comics. It, it's nice when we get together. It does feel like a, like a, there's something like if Tim and I get together, there is like a little special, like something like, oh, you know, we were the only ones for a while doing this. Like it's we were the only bond. ones in the creek. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. That's nice. Tim's weird. Cause Tim, I always say, I'm like, are you gay? Because he doesn't... Oh, he is the queenie. Look, but don't get never, it twisted. But I never... I, people have stories, but I guess maybe he doesn't... Uh, he's never... T- we've always talked about other shit. But I never see Tim be like, oh, look at that guy. Look how hot that guy is. Or I hooked up with this other guy. Every once in a while, he'll tell a story. Yeah, I don't know if... I, well, actually, no, I'm pretty desperate. Like, if I'm sitting at the table and someone really hot walks by, I'll be like, oh, my God, they're so hot. But you've been, like, in relationships or had things that we've talked about that I'm like, oh, nice, or whatever. Tim dates. I mean, he, you know, he dates. I guess he does. Maybe just, we just don't talk as much as you and I talk, I guess. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, he just never seems like a guy, like, most guys, well, now we're, like, in our 30s, so, like, mm-hmm. my sex drive is gone. Are you in your 30s? You're in your 30s. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Do I look like I'm in my 30s? <laughs> I'm just I'm kidding. I'm joking. Okay. I really just, I'm joking. How old are you? Can I ask how old I'm thir- you are? I'm 33. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. that was about what I was thinking. Um, now, has your sex drive gone down at all? Because No, I'm having mine... a lot of sex right now. Well, having sex and sex drive, I feel like, are different. Uh, I don't know. You know, it's like I was playing Super Smash Brothers at my friend's house yesterday, and then I had a quick text, and I was like, bye, everyone. Ran off. I mean, my sex drive, yeah, my sex drive is up. Sometimes it's like, uh, you know... Yeah, my sex drive is probably the same as it's always been. Okay. Cause I it's also say... readily available at all times. Not that I'm going for it, but I've just been a little bit, I've been more promiscuous than as of late. So my sex drive is almost more up right now. Right. And you're hooking up and you're single. So I guess I was not, first of all, when I was single, I was never like a overly desirable guy in that like, <laughs> oh, he's hot. I want to fuck that. Like I could get to know people. I'm not, I'm not right. trying to be like, I'm gross or whatever. But I wasn't a guy that was like just fucking banging. Don't and you, but th- don't you think you had the, the benefit of being on stage? Women, it doesn't matter. You could look like a toilet. If you have any kind of confidence and stand on stage, sometimes women really find that attractive. Just the fact that you can stand on stage. I don't I didn't find that a lot. Well, first of all, a lot of people are on in relationship. I think a lot of people at comedy clubs aren't single. Right. They're like it's coupled up and stuff. And I was like pre-dating apps too, because I was with Sarah for eight years. So that was there was like Match.com and shit, but there wasn't Tinder and Bumble and all that business. Where I feel like now, if uh, you know Sarah and I, if it goes south rapidly, <laughs> now I, I could I could do like the Sam Morrill and have like a, a profile photo of me with Jimmy Fallon, right, or something, you know, and, right? Uh, maybe flex. I could do, you could really flex on Tinder. Yeah, I could do well. Yeah, I'm in I'm in pretty good shape now, which I appreciate you promoting well, my. Uh, well, no, not just that, but flex. I was trying to use it because someone else said it the other day. I think it was my my friend Bob. Where it's like it's like I feel so old, but it's like it's what the young kids say. Like when you're flexing, it means like you're showing off. You're peacocking. You're Oh. Showing, like like if you were on Tinder, you could really flex like the fact that you are doing really well and you have, you know, Netflix and oh, Tommy Central and stuff. But also your body does look really Thank good. Thank you. So you're saying a figurative flex. Yes. I'm saying but a, now a literal, literal flex. flex. You look great. Thank you. I've been doing a keto situation. And uh, how's your heartburn? It's it's getting better. It's frustrating. But uh, now I'm accepting. I mean, this is what we're always talking about in the podcast. Not heartburn necessarily, but like. I realized when I got this horrible reflux situation, which mine's more like in the throat and uh, the throat and like the chest a little bit, not like heartburn, but it feels like there's like shit. Like yeah. Congestion almost. Yeah. <clears throat> but anyways, I at first I have this thing and this goes into like mental shit where I was like, I have to cure this. And I kept reading the cure, how to cure reflux. And I realized recently I had like an epiphany, all the things that say, cure our books they're trying to sell you something of course all the medical sites say how to treat mm-hmm. reflux and that's mm-hmm. how i have to start i've started to look at it from a mental standpoint of like let me treat it'll be bad some days and better other days and i gotta release this um idea of cured where i feel a hundred percent because what happens is i go oh i feel a little bit in my throat i'm a failure whatever mm. i'm eating what am i eat? i gotta eat something different i gotta change everything and then i just crumble and fucking don't you think myself. that's partly like being sober like i mean i don't know if i can talk about this openly but i imagine yeah. you, people know you're, you're you're an addict right yes okay so i'm not yeah, stepping no, over I'll the line. Talk about it okay lot, yeah. so don't you think that that goes with being an addict and being a comic i mean those two mentalities have a lot in common of just like i will do something and conquer it 
I will do something in concrete. I will do something. Up, oh, I failed. Up, oh, I fa-. like we're very black and white in how we deal with things. And sometimes, you know, life is more just about being treatable than it yeah. is about being cured. Completely. And it's the same thing with um, sobriety. It's like I'm not cured of alcoholism. I'm just not drinking today. I'm treating the alcoholism. This is the solution is for me is to go one day at a time, not drinking and then dealing with problems that I wasn't dealing with before. It sounds a lot like conversion therapy. Is that what is that what I'm doing? (laughs) Maybe I'm gay and I just converted. I'm kidding. I'm joking. Um, You ever try that? You ever try to convert? Conversion therapy? Absolutely not. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's why that's a wild thing that's actually happening, right? Yeah, I think most states are trying to outlaw it. Oh, I mean, it's, it's mental abuse. So they're trying to just stop I mean, conversion. Th- First of all, anyone you've ever seen ever who's doing conversion therapy, who's leading the class, Miles will be wearing a sundress. I mean, they're always <laughs> just like, come on, guys, we're not going to be gay anymore. So what is the di- what what happens? at? Because I know they exist. I don't know anything about it. Do they well, try I think to, like- it's, it's very religious based, usually. Um, and it's. It's just someone who says through the, you know, it's therapy. You're sitting down with a quote unquote therapist, not a licensed therapist. And they just tell you how it's couldn't be any gayer. The conversation, right? Saying you need to love Jesus and accept Jesus inside of you to get rid of the gayness, which is all gay people want to do is just be loved by a man and have and be inside them. And it happens to be a guy with like a hot bod. Like Jesus is a good looking guy. Oh, well, first of all, yeah. Could you know Jesus? I think Stavros has that joke or someone has a joke where like the real Jesus was just like one tooth and a hump you know i mean it was like two thousand years ago in right. the middle east like no one looked good then yeah he wasn't but, brushing it, no brushing please but then you know the italians of course took took a hold of all the uh quote-unquote stories of this jesus and then right. just do what italians do and make everything you know Better, tastier, well, not more, better. De- more delicious, <laughs> not better, but just like glorify it and and make it like he's now go, you know going to be six feet tall and he's going to be white, he's right, gonna right? Have blue eyes and he's going to have long hair and you know they just sort of adapted it to what the Italians thought was beauty. I love the Jesus white thing. That's one of the great. Why? That's what I'm, I'm saying. I mean, like facetiously, that's like one of the great tricks ever pulled on mankind to be like this guy. He was white. Yeah, I it mean, was real, it was a real white guy. And you're like, really? <laughs> okay. Well, too, you have to remember. Okay, so like a lot of those like El Greco paintings that were, were going on that were trying to get people back into the Catholic Church after Lutherism started, which was using a lot of like Catholic propaganda to be like, if you're not Catholic, you're going to hell. I mean, they really sort of made everybody. Everyone looked like it was like Marvel Comics. That's what they looked like. See, this is what I'm interested in, not to derail this, but how, how did you get so goddamn smart? You seem like I a went, guy. These are all my paintings. I went to art school. And so that's, you Well, not this all. one. It's my friend, my friend Meredith Cashel, who's a really talented painter. She gave me this cactus as that's a going great. right present. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so wait, hold on. Because like, you're a fascinating guy. First of all, I want to get into this too, because... You're a guy. You're. A th- Can I say that you go to therapy? Is that okay? To say? I, I haven't gone actually in like almost a year. But you you have been. I have. You, you I have went. Gone. We went to the same guy. Yeah. Everyone, Who I love. Everyone I've interviewed goes to the same yeah. guy, including my <laughs> wife. Um, but you're a guy that seems just knowing you, and I don't know you that well, I guess. But we've spent a lot of time together. You're a guy that seems like you've never had a problem. Ever. Your body's perfect. You oh. speak nine languages. You're an amazing <laughs> singer. You fucking murder on stage. You got a killer body. I mean, 
what's going on with you? I, it feels like you have no business in therapy, but there must be some, obviously. Yeah, I mean, that's also, fucking, first, I'll t- first of all, thank you. You must be a mess in some way. I am a hor- I'm a horrible mess. Oh, great. I'm full that of, makes me feel better, honestly. Well, well, I mean, look, you could also look at the other way. The reason why I'm sort of like this... Uh, I don't know. The body looks a certain way and I'm trying to be really good at a lot of stuff is that I am trying to um, cope and make up for what I feel lacks or trying to run away from something. I mean, I also, one, didn't always look like this. And two, all the things that you said that I'm good at weren't necessarily appreciated when I was growing up. So it was my relationship, for example, with singing or with drawing was not a um, it wasn't like a fun you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say it this way. When I came out of the closet, I wasn't like one of the, some of these gays can come out of the closet and the next day they've got fairy wings, a thong, and they are leading pride parade. Right, right. I never had that kind of confidence. I'm so, I want to be liked. I'm so insecure. I'm horrified of what everybody thinks of me. When I came out, I really baby stepped. And it wasn't until I met my friend Micah Bloom, uh, who went to SAIC with me, which is School of the Artists of Chicago. He had such a like such a fuck you mentality about everything and laughed at everything that that was where I first started getting my strength. Right. And then doing stand up. I mean, I have a bit where I talk about, um, where I was like little and singing to the birds as a kid. Mm -hmm. And then like, now the joke is like, my my mother must have been like, Steve, I think another one is gay, you know, because like we're so gay. The first time I ever said that I was with Amber Nelson and I was at the creek. And when I got off stage, I, I almost started to cry because I never told anybody that I never. I a lot of the stuff I talk about on stage, what the subtext of what I'm really saying is I'm saying these things so I can be OK with myself for being made fun of and being called faggot for so long. Right. And self-hating and self-doubt. And uh, so, you know, now that I'm 33 uh, I can say things like I love Barbara Streisand. So I do a Streisand show at Joe's pub, or I can get on stage and talk openly about sex or dating, or, you know, I can finally have the confidence to go to the gym and take care of myself and sort of, you know, and I, I know that sounds crazy, but it's like right now you're seeing it maybe like a more centered person right, than right. if we had spoken 10 years ago. Right. So you're kind of, you're really feel like you're coming into your own now. Well, I'm someone I'm a I'm a creature of a habit. I mean, of course, I still suffer through I have a lot of self-doubt and I have a lot of the need to be liked, which is a terrible thing. Uh, I never I was never that person who could say something. And if someone's like, oh, my, I'm constantly worried and paranoid that people are talking about me, making fun I, of me. Same thing. Yeah, same, same it's, it's it's not good. But I've I've done certain things I've done to help me. I've I have a really strong core group of friends that I can always go to that is my crew that is not comedy. That's not Italians in my family and stuff. Just a group of gay queer men who just lift me up and make me feel great, which is similar to sobriety to have a, like a, a fellowship. And most of them are actually in the program. There you go. I mean, <laughs> there's, I mean, there's a lot of that. I mean, that's same with me. I mean, a lot of fellowship, but I mean, the AA people I know are gay. Yeah, Just because by the nature of going to AA in New York, which I guess is a lot of pain there from family and everything that you, leads you to uh, alcohol and I'm, abuse. And I, I think too, like speaking on that, like a lot of gays, gay men or queer men come from a lot of painful backgrounds. I, I actually had a very good family. You know, I never experienced like the family rejection. Like I came from a very strong knit, tight family, and right. they there's no way they were gonna 
kick me out for being gay. I mean, they were, we're, we're like my big fat Greek wedding. It's like that kind of family. Right. Right. Um, I remember one time I was doing a show at a gay bar in Chicago. This is like really when I was like young and should not have been doing shows. Um, and, uh, 32 members of my family came cause that's wow. the kind of family they are. And my grandpa and grandma came and anyway, I was making fun of them the entire time. Then I got off stage and an older gay man came up to me, shook my hand and he said, you're really lucky to have your, you know, you're really lucky to have like such a, a great family. And I laughed. I was like, oh, they're crazy. But like, he squeezed my hand and he looked at me right in the eyes and he goes, you're really lucky to have such a great family. Right. His entire life flashed before my eyes. I mean, this, uh, who knows? He's older. He probably lived through the 80s. He probably lived through his family kicking him out. Who knows? Right, right. You know, so I do... While I say I deal with a lot of anxiety, I also try and think, oh, I'm really thankful for, number one, my cousins. I'm really thankful for my family. I'm thankful for good friends. And Yeah, of course. Now, you have a gay cousin. And is your brother gay? And my, brother, and my older brother is gay, too. And was he, uh, he was gay first, obviously. Was he out of the closet first? <laughs> yeah, he's two years older. Okay. He came out maybe when he was 14. He was young. Oh, he wow. Came out. Good for him. Yeah. But he didn't come out like, I'm gay. Like, he <laughs> right. kind of just like... He didn't even tell. I didn't even really find out till much later. Right. Um, you know, my cousin, I, we, him and I are the gayest kids in the world, but we're best friends. We talk every day and we grew up with each other and stuff. So like there was no need to really tell each other, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of gays in my family. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, that's like, must feel like you said, fortunate. Yeah. I mean, that. I just feel I, it's nice. Well, when you have that big of a family, there's bound to be extras, you know, right. you can't have like 38 first cousins and be like, I'm the only gay. Like it humbles you. I wonder if I have gays in my family because we have a big family, Irish, Catholic. Thing. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole bunch, but uh, not, nothing yet. Now, nothing, I wonder because doing. you're Irish. Yeah. Right. So Irish, I'm also English, Irish. Yeah. My dad is 100 percent Irish. OK. But they're like six generations in. Right. But my mother is Italian and Mexican. And I just grew up in her life, like all right. with my cousins and my aunts and that that kind of family. Do you think that Irish people like I noticed my dad's family and the way they deal with things, they don't like problems aren't discussed. People don't talk about problems no. like and things sort of like build in and then explode. Yeah, completely. I mean, that's 100 percent my family, which, again, is like a source of a lot of my anxiety. I was just at therapy talking about this. We're like, I'm going to. We're recording this at Thanksgiving. This will probably come out much later. But it's right before Thanksgiving. And I'm like going home to see my family. And I know there is going to be an explosion of some kind. Really? At some point during the week. Like at someone will stand up and go, I, I fucking hate you. Or whatever it is. Or fuck you. You never support me. Or they'll be crying. At some point, someone's going to be crying and yelling. Because it just builds up. There's no working on... There's no like immediate release happen. Yeah. Right. There's no like, actually, I didn't really like your tone just then. It's all sort of gossip. And then no one ever says anything to anybody, which my therapist is like, you got to stop enabling them. When people start gossiping, you got to be like, talk to them. I don't even want to hear it. Right. Talk to them. He's right. So I got to work on that. But that's like, I carry that into my life then is like everywhere I, I, I'm going home. I'm like just tense, afraid of this explosion. And that's how I feel when I go to a, basketball game or a show where I'm like something horrible is going to happen I'm going to have to deal with it and so I, I definitely have that from that kind of uh, volatility I guess I, that's what my dad's family is like yeah that's what, yeah. It, I mean they, they don't, there's no big fighting like that but like just certainly not talking about anything I mean right. and, and the thing is like my dad would go 
Like, I think I saw his parents. They they lived in California. I grew up in Chicago. I think they I saw them like five times my whole life. Yeah. And like the, he called them like twice a year. I mean, it was just such a different. I think, you know, the one thing I liked about being an Italian family, as annoying as they can be, and is like, you have to do what we say. Like, we work this way. We like, you know, they're kind of like. <laughs> They're like a little army and you have to follow along, you know, but anything you felt or thought about anyone or anything, not your, not even just your intermediate family, grandparents, aunts, uncles, y'all just said it to each other's faces. Right. You're just immediately like, that looks terrible. That looks stupid. Why would you say that? You're being an asshole. She's being a bitch. Right. Which comes with its own anxieties and stress and trauma, I'm sure. But in a weird way, it's more connected. You're dealing with it, right? It's all on the surface. Yeah. But yeah, my dad has two siblings that he doesn't talk to anymore at all. Like Ever? Like a strange, no, they haven't in years. Not since like his parents passed away. Oh, see. Yeah, well, like a, I mean, it's I, sad. I have major issues with my with my dad. So I, I, we, him and I don't talk at all. Oh, really? Well, no, I mean, kind of. We do. I mean, we're getting we're we're getting much better, and that's also a lot of it's my own guilt um but like i mean i talk to my mom every day yeah every single day yeah i talk to my mom a lot my dad and i what is it with men and their dads i think i mean i think this isn't my original theory i'm sure somebody has this theory and i heard it somewhere but like there's something weird about you have you're like uh you're you're your wife's man right and then you have a son, and now you're forever the second most important man, unless you have another son. Oh, so you third. think it's like a like a kind of um, resentment? It's an odd com- competitive and resentment. I think. I mean, doesn't that make sense a little bit? Where like you're, it's now like I have a wife. We have no kids. Mm-hmm. I'm. I mean, she has a dad that's around, mm-hmm. but like I'm essentially the most important man in her mm-hmm. life. She would sacrifice any man for me mm-hmm. if we had a son. I don't have kids. Uh, <laughs> son, I'm kidding, of course. But if she had a, if we had a son, and it was like, all right, we're gonna kill him or him, she would. She killed the husband. She'd kill me and save him. So there's a weird subconscious thing of like, oh, you like him better, and it's like I think it's like a weird Freudian thing where you're like, oh, so you think he's a better man than me? That you, could, that's a theory. I don't know. I mean, if that's it's definitely a valid theory. I've something. never thought of it that way. I, I don't. I mean, at least my situation with my dad, who's not a bad person. We, I love my dad. I like my dad. Sure, We've had course. issues based off a lot that's happened between me and my mom. But, you know, I also try to be understanding of his background. Like, he, you know, I always make the joke. I'm like, my dad was in Vietnam. I had two gay sons. He's emotionally unavailable. But uh, <laughs> is that true? He was in Vietnam. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, he was 19 forced to go to vietnam flew helicopters so it was the most dangerous thing you could do try going and rescue helicopters getting shot down watch all your friends die and this is how like kind of closed off his family is from their emotions when he came back home his parents sold his mustang oh we didn't know if you were going to come back or not oh wow that was the kind of attitude and then he became a cop and that you know and i think like he married my mom who my mom is like her whole life is family they got married with each other and then you know, growing up, and I've talked about this with our therapist. Yeah. It's like, I don't have any real memories of my dad. I can't pinpoint like a moment of like, that was my dad being a dad. Like, because it right. just was like, the, just the mom. Right. Yeah, that's tough. And th- so that's the thing I talk about in therapy too, where there's this weird line of sympathy for where your parents lack. Of like, my dad didn't get affection from his parents so he doesn't know any better right but there's also like you don't want to just have 
um, sympathy because there's anger in you about it. You got to feel that anger of like, right. hey, I could have really used a, a sex talk. Like people were like, my dad gave me the talk. I'm like, I, I never got no talk. Right. Anytime. I never got a talk either, to tell you the truth. Yeah. But, well, your dad didn't know what the fuck to say. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, I don't know. I don't Let know me teach works. you about the bees and the bees. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a bit? That's yeah. Funny. I um, I think we probably have very similar dads, just in but also that's their generation. Right. You right. know what I mean? Like being a man at that time was all just about quote unquote being a man. Don't feel, don't cry, just support. And if you have problems, shut up or go drinking, go smoke. I, I you know, right. sort of like everything was dealt with, with these kind of physical, just if you have a problem, go drink or smoke or something, which just makes it worse. Right. Right. You which, know, and I think our generation got a little extra love. Now kids, I think maybe have too much love. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're, they're just so fucking soft and like, like, ever, like there needs to be a little more, a balance, I feel. Yeah, it's so hard. And like, I was talking to Robert Kelly about this, where it's like, he's such a great parent. And I'm like, but you're doing something. Something's happening. Right. No matter what so, you no, do. Exactly. No matter what you do, there's doing. some kind of trauma. Because my parents were, were great, you know, and I, I felt like they were great. And I had a good childhood. And you go back and you start digging and they're like, oh, there's a lot of right. fucking trauma here. Right. And some of it's just like... You hugged me too much. You didn't give me enough independence <laughs> or whatever it is. I mean, that's not my parents, but like we never hugged. But You never some, hugged? Some kind of, when I was a little kid, but for whatever reason, I got it in my mind that we shouldn't hug. It was like gay or whatever. I don't know what I thought. It was just like, eh, what, no. like, you know, kids at some point, there's like that thing of like, what are you going to, you're going to hug? Don't touch me. Right. I was a big no touching guy. Right. Like you, my family, they still joke about it. Like, oh, don't touch Joe. It's Aww. A big Which... There's a weird thing where I don't like to be touched because it's like, this is my body. You, I, why are you touching me? I don't get it. But there is a thing of like a need for a hug. Of course. And you realize I'm like, oh, I didn't get nearly You could be like hugs. Temple Grandin and get a squeeze box. I don't know. I don't know the reference. Temple Grandin, the autistic animal husbandry expert. Claire Danes played her in a movie. Yeah, I got nothing. And uh, she, it's, it's the, the box itself, like she was, she didn't want anyone touching her, right? But she kind of, she was famous because she's, she invented uh, this machine that kills cows more humanely. Anyways, she didn't want to be touched. So she, but she wanted the sensation of being held because right. that's a human sensation, which I think she also like noticed it calmed her nerves, which also calmed the, cow, the cow's nerves. And so oh, she, interesting. That's how, but yeah, anyway, so she had this squeeze box and her college thought it was sexual until her blind roommate like said, no, it's for sleeping. I mean, she's wow. she's so weird, but she's very smart. Um, but yeah, I always joke. I'm like, oh, like you could, like, I always joke, like I'm so desperate to find a man. I'm just going to end up like Temple Grandin in a squeeze box naked. Well, that, that's like you do because you need the contact. But for whatever reason, I got stubborn and my therapist is like, well, your parents should have been like, no, we're hugging. They should have right. overruled you, but my parents were trying to be like respectful of like right. my uh, desires or whatever, my wishes of like, well, if he doesn't want to be touched, we should, but we won't touch him. Right. But looking back, you kind of wish they were like, no, we're we we're gonna we hug, hug you. We need a hug. But, but now I hug like my wife and I, I mean, I snuggle all day. We hug. Yeah. I mean, I'm like a very touchy guy with certain people, and now I, I hug comics. We hug when we see each other. Of course, like, there's certain people that. I hug because that's just what we do. And now I hug my parents. That was until I started going to therapy. He's like, you need to start hugging. He's like, step one, hug your parents, tell them you love them, and tell them they need to tell you that they love you. I have a hard time uh, getting physically close to my dad. I'm really working on it. Yes, same. My mom, I like, please forget about it. My, but see, you know, my grandpa, Sicilian grandpa, 
like he and this is no shade to my dad he just was kind of the fatherly figure to me every single day i talked to my grandpa growing up and it was inquisitive questions about my life what are you doing what are you learning what do you like drawing what are you this making jokes with me doing he was a judge in chicago he was a blind judge so he was kind of like well known wow. he went blind at the age of five and so we would make bets he's like ask your teacher why it's called a pair of pants not a pair of shirts i said fine then you have to say for the love of cheese in court and so he did it. He's like, an, you know, he's Sicilian. He won't say he won't lie. So he said he did it in court. He said for the love of cheese and then said, I'm sorry, I had to say that for my grandson. That's amazing. I mean, that sounds like an amazing guy. He is an amazing guy. And I, 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 I still talk to him probably two or three times a week. You wow. know, oh, so he's still around. Oh, yeah. They're young. My grandma started having kids when she was 18. Yeah. My parents are young and my grandparents are young. Well, my grandparents are dead now, but they were. My dad's parents are dead. My grand, but Italians don't die. Right, right. That's just the thing. You, and they, you know, statistically, even Italians, they live longer than anyone on Earth. Is that true? Yeah, in Sardinia. It's an island off Italy. Yeah, yeah, they no, live longer than anyone They're like 115 and shit. Yeah. The community and all that stuff. And, and food and diet. diet yeah, good. the diet um, is good. But getting back to what you're saying, like, and hugging and hugging people, like, I have a hard time getting close to my dad, which I'm working on. I feel a lot of guilt about it. But when I'm with my friends, I notice like my my crew, my gay friends, we, the one thing I love about them, like even yesterday, we're all in. My friend is a drag queen. He's a he's a really famous drag queen named Bob the Drag Queen. Okay. And in his basement, um, he has a really big apartment. His, his basement is just all of his drag stuff. So it's in a giant closet of just a billion dresses and wigs and jewelry and everything you can imagine so we're always playing dress up in this and that and that, and that so my friend patty was sitting on this like little chair he's five foot four and as i'm just standing next to him we're just holding hands and i i, just, I don't know i just love that so much because i thought i love that i have like this like i love them so much right. and like we're always touching and leaning and like you know yeah. we have that kind of relationship but you can tell with people based off the energy that's permeating out of them whether they want to be touched or not you right, can just right. sense it there's certain people like if i'm sitting at the cellar there's certain people i know i can hug and certain people i know don't hug right well there's certain like i always have that thing like sarah for one like i thought i was like abused because i would like flinch when she got me, <laughs> you're like, like those dogs in a sarah mclaughlin commercial yeah exactly i'm like i, I jump and i'm like i'm not i wasn't like a, i just get i'm just an anxious guy in general i'm always waiting for something horrible to happen i'm not it's not like i was beaten. that's i am that too by the way like I, i'm just jumpy I always think bad's all happen. the time yeah like the, the the doorbell goes off i shit my pants it's like when you go to bed at night and you're laying down thinking to your thoughts are they negative or positive you know, it's funny. It, at night, they're usually pretty positive. I have, at night, I feel peace. Mm -hmm. In the morning, I'm a fucking mess. And when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, I got to check all my teeth, my mm -hmm. vitals, my back hurts, and mm -hmm. can I urinate? My head hurts. <laughs> like, I'm a, I'm a maniac. And then at night, I'm like, I made it through. I, mm -hmm. You know what? I did it. I, I, I did all the things I needed to do, which is something that I'm trying to bring to the morning. To. Yeah, exactly. To be like, every day I end up being okay i got right. through it i'm just i have this fear in the morning that i'm like i'm not going to be able to get through today somehow it is interesting how quickly we turn our backs on not just our history but also our bodies right. i mean we so quickly we've been how old are you 30 37 37 you look great you Thank don't you. have a wrinkle on your face you've got a wife you've got yourself to new york you're doing stand-up full-time i mean you your physical body has helped you get to this moment right and and you whatever mentality you have and the work you've put in you've also gotten to this moment where this kind of solace and you can feel like more at peace but we're so quick to just forget all of that and be like something bad is going to happen yeah no i appreciate that and that's something i work on with alan a lot too 
where I, I think I referenced this in another episode where I'm like, I'll always say like, yes, yes, I can do it. And mm-hmm. he's like, no, you are doing it. Mm-hmm. It's not a thing of like, in the future, I'll be able to do this. You've done it. Mm-hmm. You're doing it. Like you have relationships. You have a great marriage, mm-hmm. an apartment, a career. You did those things in spite of all the anxiety. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, I've already overcome the anxiety. In my mind, I'm like, it's the same as like the reflux. Mm-hmm. Like if I can cure this anxiety, like, no, it's about managing it. And I'm doing it. I'm I need to be more functioning. Positive. Yeah. Because I get in bed and I think negative. I have to stop myself. Yeah. I'll think like either something that made me mad, something that like some something drama, dramatic, you know, sort of like scenarizing in my head about what if this person thinks that or what about that? Like I start to worry about stuff. I've called so many friends so many times, like in the middle of the night, be like, are we okay? Are you mad or anything? Did I do anything wrong? And they'll be like, no, like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I have the same thing. And a lot of that for me comes from drinking where I would always be doing an inventory of like, who's mad at me? Yeah right now i Um, had a relationship with a friend who i still love to this day but we just had a a a falling out i mean it was just we we didn't we meshed in so many ways and didn't mesh in so many other ways Mm -hmm. but one of the things is they were harboring these feelings towards me and sort of almost felt like they were making a checklist of the things that i did that pissed them off and my biggest pet peeve is feeling like i'm not being told if i'm doing something wrong like i have to know right away if i'm doing something wrong because i can't wait six months later and be told what i did wrong six months ago because it's this grave feeling of unfairness well that's like what you talk about with the italian family where everyone's like why are you sitting like that or whatever it is right it's like a direct uh what do you call it uh whatever word yeah direct uh what's the word um criticism or um observation or whatever that whatever, whatever thing you're finding out immediately. So it's like, that's kind of maybe what you're, you're used to. Right. This yeah. I'm used like- to I mean, even small stuff. Like, you know, and I realize I have to watch how I speak to other people because some people get not offended, but they're just like, that was really like on the nose. But you know, like for example, like when we're sitting at my aunt Cindy's table, my uncle Mike pulls out an apple. The second he takes a bite, we're like, go in the other room. You're eating too loud. And it's annoying everybody in the room, <laughs> right. you know? And then he'll, well, please, I can't eat an apple in my own home. Well, your home's big enough. Go in the other room. Like that kind of at, we're all laughing sort of at the same time too. Right. Right. And I'll say things like that, like, and people be like, oh, my God, that was really rude. And then I have to be like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I'm speaking like I'm with my family. If I'm speaking this way to you, it means I love you. But not everybody is accepting of this type of right, right. speaking. I've, I've had that where we have company and we're playing. We all play games a lot. My family, like Monopoly cards, Pictionary, whatever. And uh, my mother will, like, put down a card. And I'm like, oh, you cunt. And someone's like, <laughs> they were like, what the fuck? And I was like, oh, I'm just... I was kidding. I don't know. You're like, you know what I mean? You're just like, oh, I'm joking. I don't know. Right. Like, you just called your mother a cunt. I'm like, well, not really. <laughs> we're not fighting. You know? Right. And then I'm like, yeah, whatever. We, cause we're, we're a sweary. Family. I love, I love families that just swear though. Yeah. That's my, my favorite. My family's a lot of fun. There's a lot of drinking. And, I'd be and, interested uh, in meeting. I think we would both respectively. I'm not, I'm be, be interested in, I love meeting people and their family because it really, paints a better picture of that person you kind of get like a clear picture of oh this is this is the world of joe oh yeah your family my my family uh they would love you and you'd love them they're fun like all the stuff with my family is like below the surface where it's like nothing's getting dealt with but like on the surface if you just come and hang out people everyone loves my i mean first of all there's like 40 comics that have like stayed at my house my dad said at my wedding which you were at of course 
My yes, dad was it was like, a great wedding, many, by the way. He's like, how many of these people have stayed at our house? Like, <laughs> so many comics have stayed there and they have relationships. And my mother goes out and buys whatever it is you like. Like, she'll be like, well, if you were staying at our house, she'll be like, what does Mateo eat? What does he drink? She called me early today. She's like, Where, where's Sarah's diet at? What does she need to eat? So they're really like, take care of you. Um, and it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's a lot of ball busting and, and laughing and joking and, uh, and games. It's a, it's a great time over there i yeah. mean you were around a lot of them on the dance floor i know but you like my i want to meet like joe's family at dinner on sunday right right you know what i mean yeah like that's where i want to like sit who's like the key members of, like if i was gonna have you meet my family yeah. we'd go to my aunt cindy's house on sunday where she's been making red sauce since 8 a.m yeah and we usually start eating around five everyone has a job to help like the rest so who's gonna make the bread who's making the salad who's cutting the cheese and all this <laughs> something <Right>. farting <laughs> we get fresh parmesan and you have to you know yeah so so, uh, but that's where we sit at that table. Once we start eating, the eating is just like 10% of the night. Right, right. We are at that table for another four and a half hours. See, that sounds great. My family, very different, would be like, first of all, the TV's involved. Some, there's a game <gasps> on. I mean, it's New England, so it's like the Patriots yeah, are on, the Bruins are on. sports in Boston. We're all about the, we're all about the sports, kid. Uh, so like the TV's on, or there's a movie. Like we got Home Alone's on or Christmas Vacation, just thinking about this week. Some kind of movie that everyone loves or the game is on. And then usually one person is cooking or we usually order out. That's basically we're like a, there's 25 pizzas on the way. Right. And then fucking Donna needs a salad. Get a Sam needs a pasta and Joe needs his cheese. You know, everyone has a specific pizza, but usually we order out and fuck everyone throws it too much money in. Everyone's like, no, you put in too much. That kind of thing. Yeah. And a lot of like standing and eating. It's like we kind of. There's four people over there talking about the Patriots. There's three people over there talking about shopping tomorrow. And then there's two people over here talking about how that guy's an asshole over there. <laughs> on side of the, usually someone's trashing someone that's on the other side of the, <laughs> yeah. the room. But then we'll start playing. We'll play scat or poker or some kind of game. And, and that's when everyone yells and goes crazy. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah, we usually we eat. And then my Uncle Mike furiously cleans up the table. Uh, sometimes you're not even finished eating and he tries taking your plate. I'm like, get That's away from me. I'm not done with my plate. What? I'm trying to clean their house. And then we, my aunt Cindy has usually about 14 things of ice cream in her freezer. I'm not kidding you. She's obsessed with ice cream, obsessed. Nice. So she'll put them all out so they can defrost. So you can pick whatever ice cream you want. And then we all just sit and you just chat. Usually my aunt Cindy will get out her nails. Like she had, she always does her nails on Sunday. She opens up her thing. It is, I swear to God, 70 different colors of red. She only wears red. That's so she great. sits there, does her nails, and we all just chat. You're just all talking. And it's either funny, we're either making fun of each other, or we're talking something serious. I mean, it's all, and it's all out on the table. Anything, so, sex, anything. It's all out there. That sounds great. Yeah, we'll talk sex and stuff. But my family, this is, I think, is interesting, too. Is like my family's always like, there's always 17 people together. Every Sunday, we would all be together at the That's house. That's the best. Which I think is a good way to grow because it made us social. But there was like never. Um, outside socializing. We never belonged to a church or a group. There was like, there'd be one person would bring a couple over, or friends over, but there was never like, all the neighbors are coming over. So I feel like I'm still that way socially where I have like my really close friends and then someone else comes in. I'm like, who's that? Who's this? I'm, I agree. Guy? I don't know about this guy. We were the same way. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to mix with other people. I'm like, who are these fucking... Idiots? It does give me anxiety mixing groups. Oh, completely. Yeah. Then I, I feel like I'm away. responsible, yes. like, leader. Like, oh, I'm going to make us all happy. Or, is oh, this person doesn't want to be in the group. Like, I feel that way, too. And, again, there's another thing Ellen helps me with. He's like, well, where's their... 
responsibility. Right. They can leave. They came. I'll do that when we have those park hangs. Central Park. I'll put together these. Which I thought the whole summer picnic. I wasn't here. I felt horrible. Yeah, I think you missed a bunch of them. I missed every single one besides the one day I randomly was walking through the park for the one day I was in town oh, and yeah. bumped into you. I think that was just me and Cantor and uh, Sarah, though. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you and I, by the way, saw... That was the first time I've ever seen public tits. I was with you. Oh, I remember that being, day? I remember being like, oh, man, I can't even really share it. Because <laughs> they made it legal to walk around with topless for women. And there was a lady walking... It wasn't that day. This was like a couple of years ago. I don't, I don't know if you remember. remember. It was just you and I in the park That's how together. gay I am. I'm like, tits? I don't <laughs> I'm like, I know. I'm like, I've never forgotten. But it was a lady walking and you were like, this lady's shirtless. And I was like, oh my God. It was so exciting. I'll never forget you saying the, one of the funniest things ever. We were at the park. Maybe it was like two years ago. Mm-hmm. And some guy was walking by and he was he had like an oversized dress shirt oversized dress pants he was real skinny and then he was bald but his hair still was long around the head like yeah. almost like a character from guess who and he just and it was just so I mean, everyone's shirtless or playing football or whatever and he's just walking through and you just looked at him and you summed it up so quickly he said classic look <laughs> oh, i don't remember that and at all. i thought that is a classic look because uh, that's, that's so like early 90s like shit dockers like right. i'm working in midtown like or like if someone was making a movie for hollywood like we need him to look like a frustrated you know accountant this is the guy right 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 like he was there and walking through sheep's meadow which he had no business walking th- i mean he was that's walking hilarious. into that section where they're always rollerblading shirtless oh yeah yeah that's a fun little section over there that's a section that will give you some joy if you're a little down you go over there I love people that are just like, this is what we do. It's Sunday. We get our roller skates. We play music fucking crazy loud. And we just, we skate through little orange cones. I sat through, I sat in uh, Washington Square Park and watched 20 kids. Maybe they're in their 20s. I'm sure there were 30 year olds, but they were doing lightsabers. They were teaching how to do lightsaber oh, moves. And, you know, yes, it's it's so easy to make fun of. But because they were just so fine with who they were and doing something so wildly nerdy, I just loved it so much. Yeah. I was like, I love these people and I would love to sit there with these I love Star Wars. Right. I'm a nerd. I have my action figures up there. I would do that in a heartbeat. Yeah. It's, not, it's, it's just fun when you see people that um, that like feel like they belong. It's like that, um, I feel like with comedy a lot, like I remember that Blind Melon video, No Rain, with the little bee girls running around, and then she finds all the other bees. I don't know if you remember that. I know, video. I don't think I've ever seen it. Oh, it's a great video. But it, she's like a <laughs> little like fat bee girl. She's like 10, she's got goofy glasses, and then she finds oh, all yes, the bee I people, do. and she's all excited. Like That's how I felt with comedy. Same. When you meet comics, and you're like, oh, great, I found some other... Maniacs. I've never felt more accepted and more myself and more comfortable with any other group of people but comedians. I I am so addicted to comedy because I feel like, holy shit, all these years, even being gay, like, you know, like when I came out, I thought this will be it. I found my identity. I'm dealing with issues with being gay and my own self issues and gays can be clicky and, you know, growing up in Chicago and boys. Once I started doing comedy, I thought, okay. All those years of people were like, you're weird or you're doing impressions or what's with these voices or you act weird are like so forgotten and wildly accepted by comics. I there's sometimes I'm sitting at the table and I'm talking and, and you know, when you're just like like Jessica Kirsten, for example. Yeah. If I'm sitting with her and we're chatting or Yamanika and we're j- and like you're these built bits are building. You're just chatting with each other and you're doing weird impressions and saying weird things and doing weird voices and. 
it like fills my heart because I think, God, I, I, this is exactly where I belong. Yeah, it's the best. It's special. I mean, it's, it's like uh, Seinfeld had a quote that when you meet a comedian, there's like 10,000 things that comedian, and I'm sure there's other professionals like this, but like there's 10,000 things that a comedian deals with, like the time, the booker, the a drunk person, the shitty crowd, open mic. Then when you meet a comic, you immediately have 10,000 things in common. I think it's like that with like firemen, certain jobs. Yeah. I think I like that, but you definitely have that feeling. You know, can I ask the, I'm sure people ask you this before all the time, or maybe even I've asked you, what do you, what's like the earliest memory of being like, of feeling like I'm gay and most four. people aren't, aren't gay. Yeah, earlier than four, as long as early as I can remember. Wow. So there I, wasn't like, it wasn't like a moment or anything. It was no. just kind of like. I would, re- I would reverse the question and say, when's the first time, and this is not being shady, when's the first time you remember being straight? Hmm, good point. So it's like that. It's just right. so natural. But I guess the fact thinking. that like, but the fact that like you were in the minority as far as everyone around. So like, what right. was like that thing of like, this is a little bit different, not necessarily feeling gay, oh, but I, being I, like, oh, most of the people, I mean, you had a cousin and brother that were gay. Which right. Is but it wasn't like they were like, you know, eight years old, like at pride parades. You know what right, I mean? Right, right, right. Um, but there must have been a moment in school where you're like, oh, it's not 50-50 or 80-20 mm-hmm. in, in gay favor. Well, it started early with, because I think most kids don't really fall into gender roles until they're like second or third grade. Right. Like up until third grade, I was fine. I could hang out with the girls. because I always hung out with the girls. I could right. do hopscotch. I could do, I could draw Disney princesses. I could do all the things that I love doing, but at least came natural to me. And I, I was fine. Once the brain, these kids start, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, then everyone starts to say, Hey, Boys do this and girls do this. I mean, that was a lot of the conversation at first. So I remember right. at an early age, and I have a joke about it, but it's true. I remember when X-Men came out, I'm so obsessed with X-Men and I just got Disney Plus because they have the X-Men animated series. And I, all the kids were either X or, you know, Wolverine or Beast or Magneto or Cyclops or Gambit or someone, you know, cool. I was trying to play as Storm and they, uh, they were, ju- they, and my cousins were fine with it, yeah. but they, these kids were just like Storm, like what? Like, yeah. why are you a girl? And so it, I would say elementary school was the first I realized, oh, like things are different. And then once puberty hits, I mean, it was just, it was like night and day. I mean, just like complete, you know, kids in middle school today because of social media, being an individual is celebrated, right? Being right, right. strange or being yourself or there's a hashtag for, it. I mean, there's some, but in our day, right. Middle school, it was about conforming. And it just seemed like the harder I tried, the more obvious it was that I was gay right. or effeminate or faggy or whatever. Um, so I think, you know, it started really early in elementary school and it got progressively worse from middle school through, I would say until junior year of high school. And it was it, I mean, like how difficult, what, there must be a lot of pain in there from what you're dealing with now with becoming a, a singer, an artist, right. a body. I mean, is a lot of that come from well, there were, there dealing was, with that? You know, I don't know that, I mean, I don't, I don't think that like, I think t- talent, right? Like natural talent doesn't come from um, marginalization or, oh, certainly. or, or I want to make it clear. I, I think that you're a blessed t- totally. human being. But I think wise. that a lot of people who have natural talent and don't, and don't deal with, uh, the need to express themselves waste it. So I think I was in a perfect storm of someone who was born with a lot of capabilities. And because I was so 
just, I mean, oppression is the wrong word, but being depressed or being right. marginalized in some sure. way, pushed down that I, I, those are the only things I had left. And so I used the fact that I could sing or draw, uh, to push me ahead in any way that I could. Um, and it wasn't until I went to art school, uh, in college that I really like exploded like I came out of the closet and I was just obsessed with art the same way that I'm obsessed with comedy now my whole life was art it wasn't dating it wasn't drinking it wasn't partying it was just like I would paint all day we had seven hour painting classes so I'd paint all day I would go home I would work at my job and then I would paint till three o'clock in the morning go to sleep wake up at 7 a.m go back to school go do the same thing the next day go live in Italy go I mean so part of the thing and I've talked to Alan about this too is like I always identify myself for the things that I'm able to do rather than what I actually am. So it's like, I, I hold on to a lot of pride by saying I'm a, I, but I can do this or I can do that or I can do this. Right. Yeah. But that doesn't have anything to do with you. Those come from you, but that doesn't, that doesn't, that's not who you are. And that's why when I get into a relationship with men, I have so many issues to unpack because I, I don't, I have to be myself for them to accept who I am. I can't hide behind my body. I can't hide behind that I'm a great singer or I do stand up or look at my how cool my drawings are because at the end of the day those things are they're nice to have and it's good for someone to celebrate those things about you but that's not truly who I am. Right, those and are things you're able to do. Those are do things, do. Right. And and certainly come from who I am. But but not does not serve me well in terms of relationships. Right. I've not done well with not a good track record for men. Right, because eventually, you're just laying next to each other in bed. You're right. not singing. You're not writing. You're not speaking multiple languages. Right. Well, maybe you are. Right. But I, I marry a polygot. <laughs> eventually, you're just it's just down to the two of you hanging out. Right. And, and I have a lot of ish, I have a lot of anxiety about that right. you know my last relationship i i love him very much but it was we have different values in life and i like to work and be busy and he wants to relax and right. do things that couples do and i don't have that in me to just be a normal couple i don't have the convenience of doing a dinner night on tuesday and going away in the weekend to the you know i'm working and I think that's one of the that's great that you and Sarah are with each other because I admire the fact that you guys are both in the same business. You're both level headed and you're both really smart and you guys get to travel with each other and experience a really beautiful life with each other. And I, I deal with a lot of anxiety wondering if I will have that because my life is only getting busier and I sit in a lot of fear worrying that I'm not going to find someone who's able to put up with my Schedule, and I don't even know if I would have the compassion or, or awareness or energy to have someone travel with me that's not a comedian. I'm I'm right. so back and forth about. I want someone next to me. I want someone to love me. Get away from me. Yes, I'm a mess. Right, but that I think will come, or you change. Like you start wanting different things. Eventually, you're like you know, because I feel this way a little bit in comedy, where I'm like. I don't think I need to do late spots or so many spots. Like I'm taking, I took three nights off last week. I took three nights off this week where before I would never do that, but you just kind of reach an, an I want to say an age because it could be any age, but you reach a, a feeling where you're like, I don't think I need that as much anymore where you'll get to a point where you're like, I think being home in bed, watching a, a, a TV show with someone that I love has become more important to me than 
doing three sets mm-hmm. and you're just not there yet so mm-hmm. and then you it feels like you're almost like criticizing yourself or you're you're thinking about a problem that's down the Correct. road maybe. i'm worrying about something that one hasn't happened to this scenario person that I put in my head that won't accept me for who I am doesn't even exist, but I've already right. put doubt in their mind. Right. So I project a lot of doubt into my relationships. And I, I wonder if I self-sabotage too. Yeah, it sounds like maybe you do. But just with relationships. In a relationship. Yeah, but... Not with my job, not with my work, not with my drawing, not with my friends, but with relationships, I will find a way out. Well, a relationship is scarier. Much scarier. There's someone else. There's more feelings involved, and there's someone else's feelings involved. My last relationship, I fell harder for someone than I'd ever fallen in my entire life. I mean, just hit me like, like they say in The Godfather, you know, like hit, yeah, yeah. hit, hit Michael like a, like thunderbolt. a thunderbolt. Hit me. It was like Apollonia. It was yeah. my Apollonia. Um, I mean, hit I remember me. that. That was he lived abroad, right? Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Um, but it just didn't. It couldn't work. I mean, yeah, we live abroad and different lives, different needs. I mean, it was just too hard. Right. I, I, it's too hard for me, you know? Um, yeah. So that, that's something I think I worry about a lot. I sit in a lot of fear. Right. And I wonder if it's the suit. I t- I'm taking Sudafed right now for yeah. congestion. And one of the, um, si- not symptoms, uh, side, side effects? effects was fear. Fear of relationships. Just a fear. <laughs> it goes, you know, dizziness, nervousness, Weird. fear. I thought, fear? I yeah. said, okay, I have to like weigh this out. Like, <laughs> it's also, well, of course, I'm gonna have fear now because you said I was going to have fear. <laughs> but I think, I think you'll, I think you'll be all right. I know you'll be all right. Well, first of all, you're a fucking unbelievable catch. I mean, for God's sakes. I think on the surface I am. I'm very good at first dates. Yeah. I can impress the hell out of you. But yeah. then after that, I'm like, bye-bye. It gets tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Are you afraid of getting hurt, do you think? Or are you afraid of hurting them? Or you're just afraid of sacrificing career? All three. Right. All right. three. Now, do you ever? are you one of these people that says it up front? You're like, I like you, but I'm going to hurt you, so don't get too close. Do you give no, people a warning? No. That feels a little grease, you know, like <laughs> John Travolta. Um, I, I No, I feel like I will say as I get more in a relationship. The problem is in relationships is I'm someone, I'm not always, the, I never make myself the, the star of the show. I'm such a caretaker, which Alan told me you've taken this from your mother, where I feel the need to enable if someone feels bad, I throw food or money at the situation to try and make it better. Right. And then yeah. I dig myself in a hole of resentment. And then I end up being mad at myself the and then thing. being mad at them. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, and I don't know how to accept being taken care of, although right. that's all I want. But I feel so responsible for, for no reason at all. I feel so responsible for the happiness of this other person yes. that I'm with. If I really like them, that I put aside all of my own needs and wants in complete fear that they'll reject me and I just give them more than what they've asked for and I spoil them and then I resent them and I resent myself. Wow. That is beyond my pay grade. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but I, I, it, it is crazy how, um, or one thing I can relate to out of that is um, how weird it is the thing you want the most you have trouble once you have it. Mm-hmm. Like I feel that way with comedy. You want people to be like, you're great. You're amazing. I want my parents to be like, God, we love the show. We love you. And then when they do, you're like, oh, get it. Get it. Yeah. It was weird. Like you do like a meet and greet and people are like, that was great. You feel like, oh, okay, thank I just get out of here, you weirdo. I had that feeling. Th- weird. This, this, I've been having that feeling a lot. I've been, so this weekend I was in um, DC. We were both in DC, which is so funny. But yes. uh, my show's, I only had four shows, but they all almost sold out yeah. and it was exciting. And, and that's been happening more lately, which is great. And it's a lot of gay men, which is really great. Cause yeah. we finally like, you know, 
we get to experience comedy the same way straight people have forever. Yes. And, uh, and there's other comics too, obviously like Julio Torres and Solomon George, like amazing comics. I love doing those guys. The same, amazing. Um, so it's cool to see it happening for the queer community. However, when I am about to walk on stage and they all start cheering, I know like I almost don't want to go out there. Yes. I'm like, Oh wait, now you're all here to see me. I finally got people to come pay to see me. Dude. I don't like, I don't know how to like, I don't want to go. I don't, it makes me not want to go out. I feel like, am I fighting for anything? And I don't know. There was a weird, I can't quite describe it, but there was I a weird feeling. I had the exact same experience. This is so crazy. I was also in DC, same weekend, four shows, almost all sold out. And for me, it was like half fans and then half just were out to see a show. And I felt the same way where I was like, I had almost like a panic attack right before I went out because I'm like, this changes things before I want to perform for random people. The ideal audience to me in some ways is people that were like, oh, there's a great comic performing. Go see him. Not people that are like, we're going to see Joe List again. Right. Because you start worrying like, what if this isn't as good as last time? What right. if they heard this bit? And for me, all the fans come from podcasts. And podcast fans, I feel like, are so specific. They want inside jokes. They know comedy so well that you got to be off the cut for something. like. They're less into like, that's a bit. He wrote that. So it's nerve wracking. And again, it's all just anxiety. It's all forms of the same. It is. It all stems from the same. The same anxiety is of a relationship. Yeah, it is. Like not you. So just we want to be desired. And then when someone does desire, you're freaked out by it. That's that's you. I have not thought about it until now, but I think we've both come and discovered something that is. uh, I never thought of it that way. Yeah, we really, we really came to something. We really did. <laughs> Tell is, Alan. This is special. I just left Alan. It was exciting. Well, I should go see him again. You should go see him. He's really... I, I love Alan. I feel better on the days I go to therapy, even before therapy. Just knowing I'm, I'm like, I'm going to this place. I feel, it's feel good. When I, well, I love Alan. And it was so funny because I don't know if anyone else was like this, but we would usually argue for the first 10 to 15 minutes and yeah. then talk. Yeah. That's my nature. I just sit and I'm very combative, not in a mean way, but in a I like conversation. I like I like arguing, essentially. And so he would suggest something and I would reject it. And then we'd argue about it until I come around and like, you're absolutely right. Right. No, it's fun. I I usually I'm like so desperate in anything he says. I'm like, All right, I'll try it. Like some of the stuff I'm like, I can't <laughs> you're do a perfect. It. But it feels like, I mean, it feels similarly with new sobriety where you go and you're like, whatever you tell me, I'm done. I don't, I don't want to suffer anymore. Whatever you tell me, I'm going to try to do that. Right. Sometimes we'll finish early with my stuff and then we'll just talk politics because I like talking politics with him because I like talking politics with people that I'm a hundred percent agreeing with. See, I disagree. Now I watch, I am obsessed with politics. I watch the news every single day. I, and the thing is like my favorite news shows are like PBS news hour. Like I'm more into like, give me just the news. I do yeah. love Rachel Maddow yes. because I feel like she gives history lessons. I understand the show that's happening, the spectacle that's happening. That is Rachel Maddow, but there are lots of nuggets of information that I find oh, sure, really yeah. useful and stuff. Um, but I, I am trying my best, even as someone who's gay and someone who's part Mexican, I am trying my best to, um, not close off someone who feels differently than me and still just be open to talking. I think some people, I think anyone can have a conversation so long as the motive 
behind the conversation isn't to make the other person agree with me, but just to hear the other person. That yeah, if you can get, if you can get a conversation, those are harder and harder to get. Yeah, you yeah. don't find them. If you can and, get and a these, conversation like that, I would enjoy yeah. that. But and then a lot of time, I mean, I don't even want to talk about it too much on the podcast because when people get mad, the reason I don't like it is I don't like dealing with people being like, "You fucking idiot! You don't know what the fuck you." I, I subconsciously went into the accent of my family i don't hear an <laughs> accent but can you you must be able to hear my accent uh a little bit i feel like your gay accent over it does your, my uh, gay Chicago accent it's it's accent. that's true like and, um uh if that's such a thing oh i'm I mean, writing I guess, a, it's so funny you say accent. that i'm writing a bit right now that every language has gay accent doesn't matter what language you're in. Oh, that's funny. Because you can hear, like, because the joke is, like, in Italy, everyone looks gay. Obviously, I pass for straight. But, like, to to find a gay person in Italy, I have to listen to their voice. Right. You know, and I saw this one hot guy, and he was walking by, and he literally was on the phone. You could just hear him being like, Ma allora, l'altro giorno stavo parlando con questa ragazza, ma detto. And I'm like, okay, he's gay. I don't know what it is about. We all have gay voice. I don't know why. Yeah. I don't, I don't, it's a, it's one of life's mysteries, but it's nice. Yeah, it's a, it seems it seems fun. You have the little language of of gay, of gay, and then there's people that don't have it though. Tim Dillon and Tim Dillon, no, um, plenty. I mean, plenty of people don't. I shouldn't. Do, I'm just like outing gay people. Um, <laughs> yeah, we were I'm both. Like, I'm we were straight. both thinking of the same person, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, and decided against. Uh, saying it. Yeah, I'm just like, what am I doing? Yeah. Um, let me ask you this: as a speaking of politics, we, we should we should wrap up, I guess, here. This is I could to... go on for hours, but I don't want. I get anxious thinking you want to quit, like end this soon. Well, so. we got to get to spots, and that. Oh yeah, that's true. Where's long. your first spot? Uh, I'm doing new jokes. Uh, oh, me too. As you, as, so as we'll go you. down together. But I gotta eat something like immediately. I haven't eaten in a long. I time. can make you pasta or something. Uh, I can't eat pasta. I'm on a keto thing. It's annoying. All right. Well, would you want to? Do we want to end this a we'll little there. bit and then go down together? Yeah, let's go down together. Work. Um, this is my final final question because it, it combines gay and politics. But real quick, have I been a good guest? I haven't overtaken I think you've been unbelievable. I think okay. this is like amazing. The anxiety in my head the whole time thinking, I'm boring, Joe. This isn't good. Oh, not great. at all. I haven't answered a question. I've been, like, this is compelling and great. I've I, managed a way to find about, talk about Storm again. Every episode I've done so far in my head has been like, I'm like, this is great. I love this. <laughs> and what's nice about this new podcast I'm doing is like, I'm obsessing about it instead of obsessing about uh, my teeth or my uh, what is the obsession with your teeth that they're all gonna fall out or they're broken and that they're crooked and they're you know you just and... save up some money and go get new teeth yeah I mean, you don't have to have to worry about that's it that's what anymore. Alan says he's like so what if your teeth fall out you buy new teeth right he's like you'll be fine that's the best thing about being 2019 almost 2020 whenever yeah. this airs this will probably be out in 2020 2020 you get new teeth that's a good point I mean my hair is starting to fall out once I get enough money I'll get new hair. That's the thing that Alan always says too. He's like, and it's important for me to remember because I, I lose it. Is like, you'll deal with it. Right. No matter if you get, I'm like, what if I have cancer? He's like, then you'll deal with it. You'll right. go and you'll get whatever. But you don't have cancer right now. So right. Stop worrying about the yeah, cancer. Yeah, exactly. You'll deal, we'll deal with whatever. You'd make a great Italian woman. I feel, or a, or a Jewish. Anything. Very a similar. Jewish anything. Simpa- <laughs> very simpatico. They're yes. very Italian women and Jewish women. Italians and Jewish people have a lot in common. Oh, I always so feel much. very comfortable. And Jewish people tell me the same thing. Like, are you Jewish or Italian? I'm Italian. That's okay. Very There's a similar. kind of simpatico about it. I'm going to give you some advice that I that I think you'll enjoy. I love Christopher Hitchens. And Christopher Hitchens' entire life was about making people uncomfortable. And he said when he was dying of cancer, 
they said, what would you, what would your biggest regret in life be? And he said, my biggest regret in life would have been to be boring. And I think anytime you edit yourself because you're worried about some phantom person that you don't know sending you a message and you start cutting and editing yourself, then where do you stop? So you either say what you think and how you feel. And that person who's an adult can listen to it and not agree with it and still like everything else that you say, or you just stop saying everything you feel. Because inevitably, whether it's politics or not, you're going to say something that someone's going to be upset with. You have no control over anyone else's feelings. Who gives a shit? That's a great point. That's a great way to end. And that's, yeah. a, great lesson. that's a great little uh, wisdom from uh, Mateo Lane. <laughs> Thanks for doing the show, buddy. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, you were great. I thought you were a great guest. And uh, check out Mateo. Where, where can they see you, hear you? Well, all that I put all my drawings and my ass pictures up on my Instagram. There you go. So it's Mateo Lane, M-A-T-T-E-O-L-A-N-E. Uh, I stopped tweeting. So don't follow me on Twitter. I hate Twitter. Uh, Twitter is Amelia Bedelia. It's a horrible place. And, horrible. And uh, that's it. All right. And uh, what? Do you have an album out? No, I've had nothing. Oh, I, I have a 15-minute Netflix special. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. You're on Netflix. What's that one? Check that out. It's on the. It's called the Comedy Lineup. I'm on season two. Yes, go watch that. And uh, thank you for doing. I really appreciate it. Thanks. And you were great. And uh, I'm not just saying that. You were really great. <laughs> and you're spectacularly talented. Grazie. I'm glad I know you. And thanks for dancing at my wedding. Yeah, of course. Really so you're fun. such a good dancer. Oh, thank you. We danced together for a moment. Yeah. It was really sweet. <laughs> All right, thank you. That's Mateo Lane, everybody. Thank you. Mindful Metal Jacket is hosted by comedian Joe List. Produced by Joe List. Edited by Matt Kleinschmidt. Executive producers Robert Kelly and Matt Kleinschmidt for the Laugh Button Podcasts. <laughs>